you are that. When Rishi Uddalaka's son, Shvetaketu, turned 12, he sent him away to live with and learn from another teacher as part of his family or Gurukul, as was the norm in those days. Shvetaketu proved to be a brilliant student in his formal studies. He had quickly mastered the study of all the Veda and the six Vedanga. When he returned from the Gurukul, after 12 years, Rishi Uddalaka sensed a certain air of smugness and arrogance in him. He knew this was a sign that his teacher had not introduced him to the higher knowledge. But he also knew that it would not work to confront Shvetuketu directly because he was brilliant as an academic, outstanding in his command over the subject. He was a learned pundit. So after much deliberation, Rishi Uddalaka posed this question to Shweta Ketu. Shweta Ketu, my boy, have you ever sought out the knowledge of that by which the unheard can be heard, unseen can be seen, the unknowable can be known? Shweta Ketu was under the impression that since his education was completed, he had studied all there was to study. He was used to answering complex questions about scriptures, but this question left him stunned. He had no clue even about what it exactly meant. In an instant, Rishi Uddalaka had brought his son back to firm earth. This state of mental paralysis was just perfect for an initiation into the higher knowledge, the knowledge of the imperishable. So the lesson began right then for Shweta Ketu at the feet of the teacher. The dialogue between Rishi Uddalaka and Shweta Ketu are part of the Chandogya Upanishad. Son, by knowing one lump of clay, you may learn about everything made of clay. The only difference between such things is the name, a result of speech. But the truth is that all such things are of the same substance. By knowing one chunk of gold, you may learn about everything made of gold. The only difference between such things is the name, a result of speech. But the truth is that all such things are the same substance. The same is true for even the simplest tools made of iron. This, my son, is the knowledge of which I speak. Shweta Ketu can be seen as the archetype of the academic, for whom knowledge is a conquest, armed with sharp memory and brilliant analytical skill. Such a student conceives of knowledge as having nothing to do with his state of mind, awareness, openness, intuition, and character. He is not aware that this is the very texture of intellectual arrogance. This is a state of mind that was considered raw and immature. 
and such a student would not be able to recognize the aspect of the Guru in a teacher. In that sense, we could say that some of the brilliant achievers in science and in all walks of life could fall in this category, for whom knowledge and just about every aspect of life is a conquest. Nature itself exists to be conquered. So when Rishi Uddalaka says, this, my son, is the knowledge of which I speak, Shweta Ketu not surprisingly responds with, my respected teachers must not have known this, for if they had, they surely would have told me. Won't you please tell me more of this knowledge, Father? An immature student giving an assessment of his teacher. Actually, the teacher wouldn't have shared this knowledge with a mind that was not ripe. Because a brilliant mind may need to go through many steps further to mature so that it could come up with inventions and solutions that leave no shadow and is good every step of the way to all creatures and to the environment. But to Rishi Uddalaka, Shweta Ketu was a job in progress. Maybe at this point, the boy didn't really recognize the Guru. But that is how many teacher-student relationships often begin. So when Shweta Ketu said, Won't you please tell me more about this knowledge, Father? The lessons continued. Bring me a fruit from the banyan tree. Here's one, father. Break it open. It's broken, father. What do you see there? These tiny seeds. Now break one of them. It's broken, father. What do you see there? Nothing, father. My son, you know there is a subtle essence which you do not perceive. But through the essence, the truly immense banyan tree exists. Everything that exists has itself in that subtle essence. It is truth. It is the self. And you, Shweta Ketu, are that. Tat Tuam Asi Shweta Ketu. Shweta Ketu was now like a red blob of molten metal, ready to be moulded into any caste and beaten into shape. Like we say in Hindi, Abhi Loha Garam Hai. Please tell me more, revered father. Bring a pinch of salt, my son. Here, I have brought the salt, father. Place the salt in water and come back to me in the morning. Next morning, Bring me the salt you put in the water last night. Father, I cannot find it. Of course not. It has dissolved. Now taste the water from the surface. It's salty. Taste the water from the middle of the bowl. It's salty. Now taste the water from the bottom. It's salty. Go, throw it away and come back to me. But Father, although I have thrown it away, the salt remains. Likewise, though you cannot hear or perceive 
or know the subtle essence. It is here. Everything that exists has itself in that subtle essence. It is truth. It is the self. And you, Shweta Ketu, are that. Tat Tvam Asi, Shweta Ketu. Many years later, Shweta Ketu goes to the royal court. The king asks him certain questions about rebirth and so on, for which he had no answer. Rishi Uddalaka too didn't know. So he himself then goes to the king and requests him to be taught. Devoid of pride and arrogance, the wise in this way were able to employ the arts and sciences in a way that was holistic and not at anybody's expense and only benefited everyone. The Lines of Conquest The way pre-digested knowledge was taken from texts and not through teacher-student transmissions, there was no scope for a brilliant mind such as Hyber to be corrected as was the brilliant Shweta Ketu. Because there was no Rishi Uddalaka to do that. We know Ayurveda through the Sushritas and the Charakas. But a Rishi Unarvasu Atreya was there with them. It's about an alchemy that changes the very texture of the mind of the student. It is in this sense that the Guru as a teacher is called an alchemist. So while many techniques of medicine, mathematics and other sciences were copied and improved, science itself evolved differently in the modern ethos because it grew minus the wisdom component. The common fisherman of the east coast around Kerala used a simple but innovative instrument called the Raap Palagai, which helped them navigate the seas. And using this, he could determine accurately where to throw his net. The Indian calendar, the Panchang, evolved to suit the needs of the farmers. And so the farmer knew from the movement of certain stars, the sun and the moon, when the monsoons would commence, when to plant, when to harvest. But these practical knowledge systems evolved over tens of thousands of years under the eye of the Guru. But when they began to be absorbed by the modern mind in the West and in India from texts outside the field of a Guru, it would lack the dimension of wisdom. The Gurus were there in the system, but they didn't preside over this new kind of culture a cult of science, science wisdom evolved. Here Hyber, for example, acted as a mediator, organizer, coaxing politicians, generals, industrialists and academics to join forces in developing the technology that he thought would help his country to dominate. Robert Oppenheimer, considered to be the father of the atom bomb, reported to a military boss, not to a senior professor. Here wisdom didn't rule, power did, 
what is so wrong about that? Crime against wisdom. In a resort somewhere in the Swiss Alps, one night, a lonely Fritz Heiber passed away. And it is said, it was with regrets, wishing that he had indeed learned different things. A few decades after Heiber, Robert Oppenheimer said, I have no remorse about making the atom bomb. I would do it again, should I be in the same situation. But I do have the feeling that it was not done right. We should have acted with more foresight and clarity in telling the world what the bomb meant. Maybe they would have surrendered. Oppenheimer's unease, Heiber's remorse, and Nobel's posthumous image makeover. The ancients called this feeling Pragya Paradha, the guilt of having committed a crime against wisdom, a guilt that you feel for going against your own intelligence, and this is a disturbance of the subtle. It impacts your whole being. Maybe we can now understand a little about the connection between Raja Harishchandra's unwitting act of disturbing Rishi Vishwamitra in meditation and the turns his life took after that crime against wisdom. Rishi Vishwamitra was bound to help Raja Harishchandra evolve. And it is with this authority that he could be so decisive and harsh on the king. Heart of hearts, it was not a king and a rishi, it was a student and his guru. The funeral pyres in the cremation ground would have just given tangibility for the deepest purification rite that Harishchandra's whole life had become. This congruence between the inner and the outer is an important part of the student's journey. How this happens around the guru is a mystery of transmission because a stint in a blast furnace is hardly a knowledge transfer. And though we have no details, we can be sure Shweta Ketu entered into his own transformational fire with Rishi Uddalaka. But Haiba, Oppenheimer, Nobel had no such options. They had to live with the guilt of having committed Pragya Aparadha a crime against their own wisdom, maybe without ever being aware of it. India is known from ancient times as Bharat, which means the element of fire in the sense of a transformational fire. One who was in search of knowledge was also called Bharata. The Sanskrit root Bhra means to bear a weight, a responsibility. And in this sense, we refer to the essence of India, not as tribal, racial, or rooted in a faith, or belonging to a creed, or emerging from a set of events in history. India can be seen as a state of mind, a way of life.
Bharata, India, could be seen as a mother story of stories that plays itself out again and again on the canvas of time, in our lives, and in the deeper layers of our minds. In chapter 3, let's hear some of these stories of how the feeling of Pragyaparadha, the guilt and remorse that afflicts us due to our crimes against our own inner voice, how these were overcome. And how a culture that regards a pursuit of the knowledge of the imperishable as the supreme goal of man can be free from crimes against wisdom, a crime in which each one of us is the perpetrator and the victim. Let's close this katha with Shanti Pat, a prayer for peace from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. From ignorance, lead me to truth. From darkness, lead me to light. From death, lead me to immortality. Lots of love, Bharat.